Hello and welcome to a new episode of Harney's Practical Speaking podcast series. My name is Rachel Graham. I'm a transactional partner based in our London office and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today by Francesca Gibbons, a counsel in our litigation department also based in London. Hi Francesca. Hello, thank you for inviting me. Oh no, my pleasure. So today I thought we'd have a bit of a chat about information and disclosure of information in the BVI. We quite often get clients coming to us and saying, you know, they're either involved in a BVI company or they've got a transaction with a BVI company and they want to be able to find out a little bit of background, do some due diligence on that company and try and find out what information is publicly available in the BVI. I imagine from a litigation point of view, you also are faced with quite similar questions sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a really interesting area for both of us, but there's quite a bit of crossover. Absolutely. So Amy and I did a podcast a little while back in this series about corporate books and records in the context of directors and corporate governance and things that they should know about BVI companies. But I thought it might be quite useful just to do a quick recap about the statutory provisions that affect BVI companies. In other words, the type of information that a BVI company is required by law to maintain and retain and just so we've got a starting point for the type of information we're talking about. And I think, broadly speaking, the the type of information that a BVI company, like, like many other companies, are required to keep and maintain falls into essentially two buckets. There'll be the company records and registers, which relate to the, the company itself. So the register of directors, register of shareholders, board minutes, board meeting minutes, shareholder resolutions that kind of things and copies of any filings that the company's made at the Registry of Corporate Affairs and the BVI on the one hand. And then the other documents and records will really be those that relate to the business of the company itself. And we have two separate provisions in the BVI Business Companies Act, which deal with those two categories of documentation. The first one, which relates to the statutory records, etc., provides that there's a requirement that the company keep hold of those sorts of records for 10 years and then the documents and underlying records and financial information that relate to the company's transactions the company's required to keep for five years so ultimately companies are required to hold on to information for quite a substantial amount of time and so that information should be gettable at I suppose in in some sense depending on who you are and what your rights to that information might be So Rachel, I guess these can be a bit subjective in a way in that some companies may choose to file and keep very substantial records and others might deliberately or otherwise decide to keep it quite brief. I think that's right. I think there's often a distinction between, you know, BVI companies that are part of a trading business that actually have day-to-day transactions and other BVI companies which simply hold an asset. So, for example, a property holding company or a yacht holding company isn't necessarily going to be doing much, really. So I think I think it's important to remember that the requirement is actually for a company to keep records and underlying documents which are sufficient to explain and show that company's transactions 
and enable the financial position of the company to be determined with reasonable accuracy. So it is going to be a bit subjective depending on what the company does. And in our previous podcast, we did talk quite a lot about needing to be able to establish the financial position of a company, particularly in the context of director's duties and in consideration of whether a company might actually be in financial difficulty or not. So yes, absolutely. I mean, every company will keep varying amounts of documentation, but as long as the directors are objectively able to prove subjectively that they are keeping records that are sufficient to explain the company these transactions, then that should be okay. And just picking up on this point about, you mentioned that there are some BVI companies that have a substantive presence and maybe operate in the BVI. And then there are other companies that may just hold an asset. They, people who operate that company may know very little about BVI at all, other than perhaps when it gets to litigation and over to our desks. But I think the, the BVI is worth mentioning here. The BVI has this interesting concept of a registered agent and client of record. Do you want to explain, Rachel, a bit, bit about that. Yes, of course. Every BVI company is required to have a registered agent who is based in the BVI. Now, a registered agent is essentially like a company secretary. It's required to hold copies of the statutory registers. It's the entity that is able to generally make most of the filings on behalf of the company with the Registrar of Corporate Affairs. And so essentially, it's the administrator of the company in the BVI. And as we've said before, I mean, the red stage will probably be most people's second protocols if they're trying to find out information about a BVI company. Because, as our listeners will recall, if you conduct a public search at the Registry of Corporate Affairs in the BVI, there is only limited information that will be made available to you. There won't be copies, or very rarely will there be copies of the Register of Directors or Register of Shareholders of a BVI company, because there is no obligation for that information to be filed publicly. So, in terms of making inquiries of a registered agent, if you wanted to obtain copies of the registered directors or registered shareholders of BVI company, you would get in contact with the registered agent, make your request. And then what happens is quite interesting because the registered agent will contact its client of record, which is usually somebody associated with the company. It might be a director, it might be the ultimate beneficial owner, or it might be some intermediary who was involved in the initial setup of the company in the first place. And they will contact that client of record for the purpose of gaining authority to release that information that they hold on the BVI company to a third party. So it doesn't necessarily follow that if you make a request of a BVI registered agent, that they will then automatically send you the information that you're after. I mean, particularly if the company is involved in litigation or some sort of dispute, the registered agent, I imagine on most occasions, will simply refuse to disclose that information to a third party on the basis that it doesn't have authority to make the disclosures. Yes, that's right. And from a litigation perspective, we get people calling in, approaching us in different capacities. Sometimes they might be a director, sometimes they might be a shareholder, and sometimes those capacities will overlap. And a very typical question is, what am I entitled to? And of course, they are entitled to different things in their separate capacities. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that's worth bearing in mind. I mean, essentially and unsurprisingly, directors have the right on the giving of reasonable notice to inspect, you know, all the documents and records of a company and to make copies. But shareholders have a more restricted right. And that really is limited to the constitutional documents of the company, the statutory registers and meetings of minutes or resolutions of shareholders. But the interesting thing about a request from a shareholder is that the directors are allowed to refuse that request other than the documents that are held publicly. So the Memorandum Articles Association, they can't refuse to to give a copy of that. And actually, even if they wrongly did so, the shareholder would be able to obtain that from a company search. Now, the grounds for refusing that request for copies of the documents and records of the company relate to an argument that it it wouldn't be in the company's interest to make that disclosure. So I guess sometimes that sort of response is something that you can maybe look at from a litigation point of view or a dispute point of view and challenge. You know, unfortunately, we do see directors perhaps abusing their position and saying that it's in nobody's interest when actually it is for the shareholders. Yeah. That's where we get involved. And there are a number of different strategies from a litigation perspective that we can help with, which can help get hold of these documents if you're in that position as a shareholder and indeed as a director. And if you've hit that brick wall. Yes, because I I imagine, you know, the initial request will not necessarily come from a lawyer. It might come from the the shareholder or the third party themselves. They make their request of the register agent or of the company. They don't get the response they want. There is a little bit of backwards and forwards in correspondence. And then you guys get involved and start talking about what, what their options are. Yeah, so from a litigation perspective, there are three main options. And the first that I wanted to talk about is a Norwich Pharmacal Order, also known as an NPO. And what these are, are a very powerful weapon, and they allow you to apply to the BBI court, which you can do on an ex parte basis. And you make that application, you can make it against several different parties, but it's can most commonly be used against the registered agent. So you'd actually issue the application against the registered agent on the basis that they are an innocent party, innocently mixed up in the wrongdoing. And so you would need to show that there has been some wrongdoing, which is a quite high bar. But certainly the BVI court system is very sophisticated and well set up to deal with litigation generally, but particularly these types of orders it's probably worth remembering that, you know, given the, the BVI courts are, they're sensible, they're pragmatic, they're following the letter of the law, they're not going to look particularly favourably on someone who appears to be simply fishing for information in order to then perhaps bring a bigger and more substantive claim against either a BVI company or the stakeholders in that company. Yeah, and this is a thing you see throughout litigation is that general courts are not going to be interested in fishing expeditions. So you would need to show when you're making your application that there are some 
preliminary evidence of wrongdoing. And what you're actually asking the court for is for access to records that the registered agent has. So it's a really powerful tool in getting hold of those documents if there's no way to get them otherwise. And coupled with AEOs, you can ask the court for a what's known as seal and gag order. And what that does, if you're successful, is it means that the court needs to seal the record and the registered agent is gagged from reporting back to the client of record that the application has been made. There are some very serious consequences for non-compliance, including contempt of court and being liable for losses. So those two applications or part of an application are really useful tool for us in the BBI. Thanks, Francesca. I think that's a really useful summary of Norwich Pharmacal Orders and really how they work and what they can be used for. You mentioned that there were three main ways in which to get information. Can you tell us a bit more about the other two? Yeah, sure. So the second one is known as a Section 100 application, and that's Section 100 of the Business Companies Act in the BBI. And we were talking a bit earlier about what directors are entitled to. Now, if a director feels that actually hasn't had documents that he is entitled to, then under the Act, then he can make this very specific application to ask the court to basically step in and ensure that those documents are provided. So it's a bit of an odd application in that it's the director actually issuing an application against the company itself. But that's really the only way in which it can be enforced against the company. What might be the grounds that the director would state as being his reason for making the application? Might it be that he is of the view or is aware that there may be documents and records that he hasn't been given access to? Does he have to sort of establish, you know, sort of concern about his ability to perhaps discharge his fiduciary duties as a director and essentially give the reasons why he thinks he hasn't received everything that he should have received and what might be the consequences of that for the company, presumably. Directors have rights under and statute and under common law. And this one is, is, is made under statute. So it can actually be quite brief. And, you know, the director would need to say, well, I'm entitled to these documents under Section 100. We list out what he is entitled to and then explain how he's in the position or she's in the position that they are in. And what we see relatively often is where directors are in an active dispute. So one director might say, I'm entitled to XYZ documents, and the other director blocks that request and says, you're not entitled to them. It's that kind of dynamic that we see. Thanks, Francesca. I'm just wondering where a director has made an application under Section 100 for disclosure of of documentation. What might happen in court? I mean, is it a ex parte application, or will there be a hearing? You know, I'm I'm a I'm a transactional lawyer. I, I don't. Yeah, know yeah, no, sure. I mean, yeah. It's usually made with notice, so everyone will know about it. And there'll be an opportunity for other interested parties to respond. The company would probably be neutral. So it'll be led usually by what the court says, but it may have its own lawyers who may have a view on behalf of the company. So it would usually proceed to a hearing and everybody would be given their opportunity to say whether they think that the director should or should not be provided with the documents. And then you can end up with an order 
which could be quite a lengthy order, you know, have a schedule attached to the specific things that the director is entitled to see. And, you know, that could be the end of the matter, or there could then be a dispute about has the director been furnished with everything that, that was ordered. And the third way of potentially getting information is disclosure, which is a stage within the litigation process. And parties are entitled to disclosure of documents where they are directly relevant to the pleaded issues. And here there's a bit of a catch-22, I guess, because you can't issue a claim without having the facts or usually supported by evidence in order to make that pleading. And so what you can't do is say, well, I think there has been a fraud, got no evidence of it, but I'm going to plead it in my statement of claim and then hope then it becomes directly relevant and therefore I get the disclosure that I'm looking for. It's, it's kind of, it's going back to the sort of fishing expedition, isn't it? We, yeah, think they've it done, we think they've done something wrong. Something doesn't smell quite right. We haven't got the documents yet, but now we're in a litigation process. You're required to make disclosure. So give us what you've got. Exactly. And what the court and the BBI won't tolerate, like many jurisdictions, is a position where anybody can just say anything and then hope that they get the information that they want. So it is really useful if you have evidence of some wrongdoing, for example, and you did it, and therefore it is directly relevant to the pleaded claim and becomes an issue potentially in, in dispute. And in those circumstances, if the other side has the winning evidence, the silver bullet, which is, you know, what all litigators are looking for when you're in this process, then at the disclosure stage, it's about halfway through the litigation, you each get to say what documents you have and allow inspection of those documents, which could you know, potentially give you the document that you're after. Absolutely. I think the other, probably the the fourth way in which parties could find information out about BVI companies, which then could be useful in either a dispute situation or just generally, is essentially by accident, I suppose. Adam and I talked in our last podcast about registering charges against BVI companies. And in particular, we talked about where a BVI company has granted security over shares in another company. And that might have been by way of a share mortgage or it might be under a debenture. And we talked about the fact that if you were the beneficiary or chargee of that security, you would want particulars of that security to have been registered at the Registry of Corporate Affairs in the BVI in order to establish your priority over those assets in the event of a liquidation or an enforcement situation. And what we sometimes find, as I mentioned, if a BVI company has granted security over shares in another company, that other company will be named in the particulars of charge, which therefore tells anybody who searches against that BVI company that that BVI company owns or has an interest in another company. And that can allow you to essentially put together a rather rough and ready, but a structure chart for a group of companies. And you can do as many searches against BVI companies 
as you wish and you could go to other jurisdictions and search you know at their companies registries and uh, it can be quite useful just to try and piece together ownership of assets really so it's, yeah. it, it's worth remembering that although we did say at the start of the podcast you know there's rather limited information that is publicly filed in the BVI you might get lucky and find out something that otherwise would be very difficult to establish yes yeah you just never know if somebody's accidentally filed something and certainly this is a first port of call for us as litigators anyway as soon as we're instructed we'll look it up just to check is it um, an active company has it been struck off all of those things you can find out very quickly and for about two or three hundred dollars it's always worth doing and on the transactional side again it's usually the first thing that we do is even though the client may well have given you their copies of constitutional documents it's always worth just doing a, a quick search there have been numerous occasions where we've done that and found that a company's fallen out of good standing which means it can't actually enter into the transaction that everybody wants it to do until it's been restored so that's brilliant Francesca thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat about all of these different issues I think it's worth remembering that there is information that is available in the BVI publicly but where that information isn't readily available there are a number of different strategies or options that clients can pursue in order to find out what they want to know yes thank you so much Thanks everyone for listening and we'll hopefully see you on our next Practically Speaking podcast.